Well, hello and welcome, my friends, to today's show. I am Coach Debbie, and this is Story You Talk Radio. I am delighted that you have reserved this time to spend with me, and we're going to be talking about the stories you live by, the stories you're writing, the stories that are taking up space in your head. Oh, the stories that scare you. (laughs) Specifically, though, today's topic is about overcoming the pain of performing and proving. And this topic grows right out of my correspondence with people that I'm coaching or people that are interested in my upcoming programs. Turns out that I'm not the only person on the planet who is constantly working at overcoming pains of performing as a writer or proving myself as a writer or even just performing and proving myself through day-to-day life. My guess is you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on that today. I'm going to be taking your questions. Keep in mind that these questions stay anonymous. Although I read them on the air and I offer you coaching, nobody knows it's you. Even if you give me my your first name, there, there's, I don't know how many billions of people in the world these days, but nobody knows it's you. The most they'll ever get is your first name. And if you want to disguise that, you can even disguise that. So write to me. Write to me at AskCoachDebbie at gmail.com. And just so you know, my name is spelled D-E-B-B-Y. AskCoachDebbie at gmail.com. Or I have a Facebook account. And I use the personal messenger side of that a lot for this show. So feel free to go to Debbie Handrich. Handrich is just like it sounds. H-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. D-E-B-B-Y is Debbie. Debbie Handrich. Go to Debbie Handrich Facebook and just type me a message or Even just go on my timeline there. You'll see notes about today's show, and you can pop in a question. I've got Facebook open right here. I've got a whole bunch of screens going on, so feel free to write in. And if you care to, we might even open up the phone lines here for calls. And the number is, hmm, the number is 1-888- Hmm. Um, I might have to ask Eric what the number is. <laughs> I haven't taken down the number in quite a while here. Yeah, no problem. People can call in at 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. And that's the man who's going to take your call, and he'll get us all hooked up so we can talk live on the air. Even though he's at the station... And I'm in my office at home, and you are wherever you are. Eric has the abilities to get us all connected, which I I think makes him quite amazing. So thank you very much, Eric, for that. My pleasure. And just moving along here, um, 
I got to thinking about this topic, like I said, because people are engaging me on the pain, the pain of feeling like they have to prove themselves with their writing or they have to prove themselves out in the job market right now. The pain of trying to shift their whole company to being online and and performance ready, improving and performing and performing and proving. And, and how do you overcome this big pain of it all? I know that when, when I'm trying to overcome something like this, I literally feel like the world is sitting on my shoulders or, or that there's cameras coming through my, my windows here. I have windows that look out toward the water and sometimes a, a helicopter will go on by and I just, I feel like I'm, I'm, on television that they can see into my home and bear into my privacy and that I'm supposed to be a, a, a great, wonderful citizen by having everything all cleaned up and beautiful when the helicopters go by. And yet, you know, that's just, that's just some warped bad dream I'm playing. At the same time, I think a lot of us that write spend a lot of time feeling like everything is really on the line and that we're being closely watched. But what I know about this is that it is a game of heartache. When you feel like you have to prove yourself, your heart is usually breaking. And when you feel like you have to have a great performance going on, your life is a performance. Uh, it just feels like you're in the game of chasing down dreams instead of manifesting and just living in some sort of flow with dreams. For me, I know it, I feel like it starts to define me. The good news is that we can change this. And the best way I know to change any of this is to get into the present moment. So I'm going to be helping you with this today. Like I said, this is a very vulnerable topic for me because I still feel like I'm in the learning curve of it. And at the same time, I kind of feel like I have a dual life going on with it, that that I've actually been studying it and putting to use a lot of good practice now for about 25 years. It was then that I started wanting my writing to matter. And I felt that pressure that I had to prove myself and be a performer as a writer. And I knew I wouldn't last the, the, the game if I didn't acquire some tools and techniques. So even though I've been at this a little while, I promise you, I have to stay at it or I fall back into feeling really mediocre and really scared. And there's nothing that makes me say no to a writing offer or to a contract if I'm feeling mediocre or like I have to prove or perform. I just I just go running. I bet you relate. I know my writing friend Judy Reeves relates. She has put a lot of work into this in her her book, you probably know of this book, even though it's about 11 years old by now. It's um, a writer's book of days. It's a, 
a large format orange covered book. I love it. It's it's kind of a workbook and Judy Reeves is just a very approachable writing teacher full of knowledge and and really one of those ladies that that has an ease about her. And and she's helped me through following her to just just feel like the things I write they actually matter. They're not mediocre. They actually matter. So allow me to do the same for you. Like I said, I'm going to be taking your questions from Facebook and from Gmail. If you go to Facebook, my full name is Debbie Handrich. It's D-E-B-B-Y. And my last name is spelled just like it sounds. H-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. And I see I already have two questions that uh, one two yeah two questions have come in so we'll be taking those uh possibly amy we will take you first but let's just get get into this what are some of those top fears that if you're a writer it's going to put you in that mode where you feel like you're going to have to perform what are some of those top fears one is just that general feeling that I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at my craft. And if I'm not good enough, somehow that just means I'm bad. I'm mediocre. Another one is that maybe, maybe, maybe I, I just don't have anything clever or interesting to say. That every single clever and interesting word has already been published. <laughs> I'm, I'm beefing this up a little bit because, boy, <laughs> have I spent many drowning nights <laughs> in that thought that, that no, what, whatever words I have to offer are so similar to something that's already been offered. Why even bother? You know, another common one, and this, this has plagued me as well, that you know, I'll start on something and I'll have to prove some somehow in some way that it's worthy of completing. I'll get going on it, not thinking about all this worthiness, but somewhere in the middle or towards the end, that whole, is it worthy? Is it worthy of finishing? Is it worthy of my energy? Oh, and yeah, that that'll just put the weight of the world on you. So I bet you relate to some of these ideas. And I bet even if you're not a writer, you know the experience of just feeling stressed, of of feeling worried, of feeling insecure about whatever it is you're going through. You know, whether it's around family or job or home or romance or making money or your kids anything. There, there's a propensity to take that to our stressful mind. An issue comes up and we just take it right to our stressful mind. And what happens? We worry. And what happens when we worry? We feel insecure. And so then our stressful mind tells us this funny thing. 
I, I learned this in psychology once. I want to say, I want to say I learned this in abnormal psych class, but it could have been in behavior. I bet it was behavioral psych. I took a whole bunch of psych. I should probably have a degree in it if I could remember things better. <laughs> but I, I remember this notion that we associate stressful things and the need for dissolve. In other words, we, we don't think we're going to move forward until the stressful thing in our life completely dissolves, vanishes, goes away. But we can't just kill off stressful things. We have to find a way to deal with stress. And honestly, when we're trying to find a way to deal with stress, we come back to this idea that I proposed in the beginning. We go straight to, I'll prove it. I'll prove that I can work with this stress. I'll prove that I am worthy of being the person in charge of this stressful thing. I will perform. I will put on a great performance. And maybe I'll fool everyone. Or maybe what I'll do is I'll bring everyone around to what I believed in the beginning. And that is that I, I should, I should be deemed worthy. But this is just all, can, can you feel the heartache in this? Can you feel what a big old race it is to get this done and over with? <laughs> it's kind of like goal setting. We set goals because we want to get done with something. But we never get done because as soon as we get a goal completed, what do we do? We cross it off our list and we write a new goal. We hardly have the capacity to sit down and celebrate. So what I want to propose to you today is that even though there are so many fears and stresses that you might be thinking you have to outperform or prove yourself worthy of, there's there's also a tremendous amount of hope when, when you are willing to be in the present moment. And I, I, for one, can say, I don't think this comes naturally as adults. I think it comes far more naturally to young children. I think young children ask us all kinds of great questions because they have this ability to just be with their life. I mean, granted, they're not carrying adult-sized problems with them everywhere. But have you ever noticed some of the questions a child will ask? A child will ask, how did a butterfly learn how to fly? You know, where did that come from? They're just looking at the butterfly. They're looking at the colors. They're noticing that the butterfly is flitting around in front of them and landing on their hand. And so they're curious about something that is in the present moment. It's not necessarily stressing them in any way either. They're just curious. How did a butterfly learn how to fly? 
You know, we have a lot we could learn from a child that's just at peace with a butterfly and wants to know, granted, a huge question here, right? How do you fly? I mean, that's not something we humans have figured out from our our own abilities here. I don't know how to fly. I can tell you my best dreams are about it, but I don't know how to fly. Butterflies, on the other hand, in their nature, they fly. If they don't fly, something's wrong. So a child who's watching a butterfly is actually very present with that butterfly and is noticing this is how things are and wants to know, did the butterfly have to learn it? Well, for fun, let's just say the butterfly did have to learn it. I would I would be willing to predict that butterflies would be very different because all of a sudden they'd be trying to outperform each other and outprove that butterfly A is better than butterfly B. They'd be more like us humans. But to clarify, they'd be more like adult humans, not childlike humans. And I, I think we can learn a tremendous amount by watching children, by noticing how they are present, how they ask questions from a place of simple curiosity. I think that can dispel some of the need to prove and to perform and to outwit others. So what do you say we just think about that for a moment and take a break? And when we come back, we're going to be taking our first question here. So please stay tuned. Hi, this is Marilyn Milano. If you love animals, then please check out my new show, Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. I'll be talking with rescue groups, animal advocates, and other organizations that help animals, sharing their stories, and giving our listeners some tangible ways in which they can help make a difference. That's Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. The nicotine in e-cigarettes is addictive and can harm brain development. That's why I worry about teens who try e-cigarettes. Many young people use pod-based e-cigarettes like Juul, which have high levels of nicotine. And because teens' brains are still developing, they can quickly become addicted. The tobacco industry uses fruit and candy flavors to attract young people, often turning them into lifelong users. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. Walking your talk? Take us with you. The KKNW app makes streaming our programming easy on your phone or tablet. And welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. If you're just tuning in, today we are talking about overcoming the pain of performing and proving. I was just working with a group of writers and 
and they're just at that point right now where they've they've finished drafting. Some of them have gone on and hired editors. Some of them were working with me through the editing process, and they're now stepping up to researching the publishers they're going to work with. And this is bringing about a whole new level of fear, a whole new level of, of um, oh, just self-consciousness and, and worry that if they submit their book now, they don't know all the other people that are going to be submitting. And what if there's another one on the same topic and that one's chosen and theirs is not? And, um, you know, the mind can just go down this path, this litany of pain <laughs> and bad dreams and bad thoughts. And my job as a teacher is to help bring back some balance because there is competition in the world, even though we don't necessarily have to sign up for it all. There is a certain level of competition in the world. And I think what's important is to come back to a topic that Brene Brown talks about so, so beautifully. She she has a book, The Gift of Imperfection. It was uh, launched, I want to say, in 2009 or 10. I remember her being on PBS, and I was watching her demonstrate all this work she had done around authenticity and shame, and I just, I thought, wow, finally, finally, someone who has studied human after human and has found that we have so much in common when it comes to wanting to feel like we belong and that our work matters and that we're doing well in the world. She said this in um, The Gifts of Imperfection. I think this was actually part of her promo for the book, but I really liked it and I kept it. She said, each day we face a barrage of images and messages from society and the media telling us who, what, and how we should be. We're led to believe that if we could only look perfect and lead perfect lives, we'd no longer feel inadequate. So most of us are performing and we're pleasing and we're perfecting, all the while thinking, what if I can't keep all those balls up in the air? Why isn't everyone else working harder and living up to my expectations? And what will people think if I fail or give up? When can I stop this proving of myself? I loved this. I've kept this for years. And I, I come back to it because in her studies, of course she was looking at people that write but she was looking at top performers as well. She was looking at entrepreneurs. She was looking at college students. She was looking at moms. She was looking at moms that were leaving their empty nest and now going out into the workforce. She had just this huge, huge climate of different people. 
And what she found was that shame and blame and guilt and this inauthentic approach is often how people lead. And it's because we we feel those feelings and we believe we have to prove ourselves. We believe we have to outperform the next person. So what I'm often telling my students when they're getting ready to publish is that there, there truly is only one that you will ever compete against. There is only one. And you could even drop that. But if you, if you want to know who that one is, it's yourself. You might feel like the, the person down the street writing a book on the similar topic is your competition. And I know there's articles galore about this. But I would just have to disagree. And I, I say this based on the fact that I taught for years at a college and I read thousands, tens of thousands, maybe more, I'm sure more, essays. And those students were never in competition. I might read 75 essays in a week. Those students were never competing for an A. Those students were showing me they had followed the lesson that they had learned something and that they had performed at their best. That's it. It didn't matter what the person to their left or to their right had done on their papers. It, it didn't matter one bit. What mattered to Jackie and to me was how Jackie did on her paper. And what mattered to Joe and to me was how Joe did on his paper. It did not matter to me if Joe wrote a better paper than Jackie. In fact, I never gave it one thought. What I thought about when I read Joe's paper was how Joe was doing. And what I thought about when I read Jackie's paper was how Jackie was doing. And that was that. But somehow, somewhere, we learn. We learn this. We're not born this way. We're born thinking about butterflies. We're born knowing what is natural in the world and asking questions about it. But we learn. We learn from shame and blame and guilt and fear to compete. It's not, it's not part of our DNA. Yet, we do find strength to join the race, to get in there and perform. And sometimes, I have to say, it keeps us in competition with everyone and takes away that sense that the only person that is really trying to learn here is ourself. We are trying to learn and grow ourself. But we forget that when we get so caught up in outperforming and outproving the other. So with that said, I want to take this question here. Amy, I'm going to come to you second. Uh, but I'm going to jump to this question right here from Jill. 
And Jill has texted in and said, when you talk on your show today about being a performer and outproving, could you talk a little bit more about why the performance is so important? I am in acting school right now, and I don't think I believe that performance is a bad thing. Ooh. Oh, no. No, Jill, I don't believe performance is a bad thing either. Um, well, I do, Jill goes on to say, well, I do believe in getting things done and memorizing my lines. I don't feel that trying to perform well or outperform the next actor is truly negative. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you, Jill, for that question. No, I, I, I don't want to confuse the idea of the performing arts or, or being trained to take on a characterization is a negative thing. I, I certainly don't mean that at all. What I do mean is when we are in the world and we are being ourselves, we don't want to we don't want to take on the performance role there. You want to take on the performance role if you are hired to perform on the stage. Sure. Absolutely. But when when I'm asked to come and speak somewhere, I I want to speak from my heart. I don't want to feel like I have to outperform the person who speaks before me or after me. I want to just be with me and offer the best speech I can from my heart. I don't want to take on some persona. I don't want to characterize someone else. I want to just be me. And even if there's people that don't like it or walk out in the middle, oh man, have you ever been offering yourself from the stage and you've seen people slip out the back? That can hurt. And yet, if we're talking from our heart, if we're really present with ourselves. All we notice is that someone is slipping out the back. I mean, heck, maybe they have to use the restroom. <laughs> it, it doesn't have to always be about us. But at the same time, Jill, I just want to emphasize, if, if I feel like I've been invited to speak and I feel like I have to prove or perform... I won't be in the present moment. I, I won't be my best self. I won't channel my, my knowing, my wisdom, my words. I mean, Jill, I wish you could see. Maybe I should put up a picture sometime of my little world here from the radio show. I'm, I'm sitting with you. I have a microphone. I have my telephone so that I can see questions that come in from Facebook. I have a few quotes from people like Brene Brown on my computer screen. And then I have the title of my show, and I have Skype open, so I know that Eric and the producer and I are communicating. And I have um, a 
couple of three by five cards here in case I completely lose my mind and don't remember the topic of the day. So other than that, I'm just talking with you. I'm just talking with everyone else. And I'm, I'm talking about content that I feel comfortable to talk about. But it's not a script. It's not something that I worked on for days and weeks and months to come up with. But it's something that I have a lot of experience with. And so I come to you live to share it. So Jill, to me, that's not performing. That's not proving myself. Because at any given moment, you could turn the radio off and go and do something else. And I would never know. And even if I did know, the good news is that if I'm present, what I'm coming back to is that I just want to offer you some ideas to think about. And whether you think about them or not is completely up to you. I feel good when I know I don't have to prove myself and perform. But when my thinking overtakes me, I believe I have to perform. I just want to give you some, I wrote down, um, I wrote down a couple of things that I believe top performers are concerned about. So Jill, one of the things you said is at the top of my list here, it's getting things done. I think top performers care about that. And I'm not talking about performers of the arts. I'm I'm talking about performers in work, performers in business, performers that are entrepreneurs. They performers tend to value quality. They want to satisfy their customers. They believe in top-notch and best skills. They also, they're willing to perform so they can demonstrate skills. They tend to be very good decision makers. They're motivated by feedback. And I'm just going to add, a lot of people that are highly motivated by feedback are highly scared of criticism. They might just crumble in front of you if you don't feel their performance is fabulous. Um, High-performing people tend to be self-directed. They tend to invent uh, who they know to be um, and, and sometimes are guilty of taking on personas. And they tend to move up because they're in the know. Something that... I have heard too is that top performance can be very cool under pressure. Again, that's about being a great performer, not not letting them see you sweat. Remember that was kind of a tagline once? <laughs> Don't let them see you sweat. So, Jill, what I'm what I'm sharing here with you is that becoming a, a performer in the arts is a wonderful thing. But becoming a performer in, in life, trying to fool others, trying to fool others into the idea that you're, you're proving your worth instead of just 
standing in your worth, that you're proving this quality of top-notch life, um, that can often bring a person down. It can make them crumble if their feedback isn't just the best. And where we really, really want to come from is this place that Brene Brown talks about. And that is knowing that there's going to be these little areas of imperfections. I think that's why she titled her book, The Gift of Imperfection. There will be these places where we're not perfect. But hopefully we were ourselves. We were who we knew to be. We offered what we had on offer for others. We, we gave our best message. We didn't try to outwit the next person. And we didn't try to outperform our made-up competitors. Instead, we just showed up and we did what we knew how to do. That often leads to a, a newfound confidence. And I think, Amy, I think the question that came in from Amy, the texture, we can talk about that right after our, our last break here. We're going to go to and, and get right back with you about what it means to overcome the pain of performing and proving. Stay tuned. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I am spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Carl Petri, a gifted medium and ghost researcher, for a lively round of metaphysical Q&A. On Saturday, Kim Stanwood Terranova makes her debut on our show, talking about her book, The Technology of Intention. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Our veterans risked it all to protect our freedom. One of the best ways to say thank you is to volunteer to support them. At a time in history where kindness is a virtue, volunteering means a lot. For over 47 years, Help Heal Veterans, a not-for-profit organization with the support of citizens like you, have delivered therapy kits to veterans who need them. To volunteer or learn more, visit HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. Today we're talking about overcoming the pain of performing and proving ourselves over and over and over again. Oh boy, this has just been such a big, big lesson for me in just 
every area of my life, not not just writing, but every area. And I'm not surprised that many people that come to me are dealing with this. Honestly, I think it helps me be a better writer. I, I think it reminds me of how to stand in what I want to share as a writer and put it out in the world and anticipate that there's going to be people that disagree with me that thought I should have done a better job. But in the end, I know I'm doing what I can. And if I can come back to that spirit of knowing I'm not a perfect person, but I didn't really set out to be a perfect person. I, I set out to offer the best of what I can offer, I, I feel a certain comfort in that. Some things that writers talk about and that Judy even noted in her book, Judy Reeves, in her book that is called A Writer's Book of Days, kind of like a workbook. I really recommend it. She noted that some of the fears writers go through is this notion that they're going to appear stupid or foolish. And they're, they're desperately afraid of being mocked. She noted that a lot of the writers she works with are worried they'll be called some a, a fake or a liar. Um, boy, do I know that one. I think whenever we are offering something that matters to us, the notion that we won't be seen in our light is, is scary. One thing I can speak to from, from a lot of personal experience is how I've been shut down by others when I felt pretty happy or pretty positive about possibilities that were in front of us. Um, I I belong to a network of people that are all entrepreneurs and building business. And I can remember this one time sitting at a table of eight and we were all sharing how our experience had gone and, you know, everyone had been at that, that same place, everyone sharing And when it got to me, I said, you know, there were some real lows for me. And I stated what they were, but I went right into saying that those lows actually turned into a lot of opportunity, though, and that I couldn't have seen it that way from the very beginning. And so I spoke a lot about that. And afterwards, uh, someone that I really admire said something that just, it felt like such a slur. And she just, you know, she was congratulating a few people. And when she turned to me, she said, and then there's Debbie and we can always count on her positivity. And it was the way she said positivity. And I thought, she thinks I'm some sort of fake or, or she thinks I'm just like, made that up or she she thinks bad of me or you know I just felt so shamed in that moment but really honestly the good news was when I when I had said I felt a lot of opportunities had come forward I really meant it uh, 
I was really in the present moment. So when I was critiqued, or at least I felt critiqued by her, uh, it didn't it didn't have the power to really stick to me. But here's the truth. I've gone through so many. I have gone through so many things where not only did a remark like that stick to me, but it it took me down for days. And it it was often because of of this fear that, you know, maybe Jill was speaking about in her text or maybe some of you relate to and and that is that we're we're always under that bright light of having to prove ourselves and I just want to dispel that that is necessary I just don't believe it anymore I think there's a lot of pain when we do believe it and I think there's a lot of performing that we start to do and a lot of proving that we start to do and it just sends us down some really negative rabbit hole If instead, if instead you can figure out where you really stand on particular principles and not worry if the lady to your left or the guy to your right stand there too, you're going to feel so much better in your own skin. You're not going to constantly be looking for ways to convince others to really see how you might bring others forward to thinking about you. I I think there's a lot of link between uh, performing, proving, and the whole notion of convincing. Like, um, I don't know, just, just sort of persuading someone or trying to sway a person into understanding you better or trying to hook someone or almost almost making a person I think a convincer is someone who sometimes makes you or at least it seems like they're making you be a believer in what they're up to and almost, oh, I'm thinking of politics right now, almost feel ashamed of where you stand. In fact, I was in a conversation around this recently where, um, yeah, where I watched family um, really try and convince another family member that he might be wrong. And uh, that, yeah, that can be painful. I think a lot more can be done if instead of proving, performing, convincing, swaying, manipulating, all that stuff, if maybe we just share what's really on our mind and our heart and know that it, it might lead to debate, it might lead to argument, but in the end... It's just important to be with who you are and to know not everyone's going to agree. Not everyone's going to love your book as much as you do. Not everyone is going to stand by your side, but a lot of people will. A lot of people will 
especially when you're being honest. You know what, Amy, I promised I was going to read your question, and I haven't done that yet. Amy wrote in here, and she's she's talking about rivalry and says, my sister and I have been arch rivals always, and now she's bragging about some ebook she wrote, and my parents think she should be the next president. <laughs> I actually have two self-published books, but I doubt my family will ever praise me or even buy a copy. My sister is the princess in the family, and I feel like an acne-faced brat standing next to her. I almost feel guilty for wanting just the smallest bit of respect from my family. Ouch. Um, Amy, 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 that, that hurts. That hurts to just see your pain there. Um, one thing I'm noticing is that in at least these words you shared with me, you're not you're not practicing trying to convince them that you are something that need you know you're not trying to say, hey, you better buy my book. I I didn't hear that in here. Uh, I do hear that the rivalry is known to more than just you. And maybe there's other family members involved in this rivalry, and I, I see that this is around writing. Um, you, you didn't call your sister by a happy name here. You called her a princess. So I, I hear that you are hurt. And this is what I want to say. You have every right to be hurt, but you are never going to come out of this hurt, Amy, if you continue to feel like you have to prove yourself, even if you're not doing things to prove yourself, just by feeling like you have to is going to induce things like name calling and staying in a, a rivalry um, relationship with your sister. Maybe what you want to do, Amy, is kind of take the high road here and realize that you haven't you haven't received, at least in your mind, if not through the family, you have not received the respect you are wanting. And I just want to say to you, Amy, I know how that feels. I know how bad it feels to to not get credit for something I've written. Or worse, to watch someone copy and put their name on it and they get credit for it. I know this stuff hurts. And at the same time, I want you to come back to the power of Amy. And what I mean by that is I want you to understand that when you are in your fullness and loving all that you offer... Whatever it was that you offered in your self-help books, or is that what you said? Sorry, self-published books. Whatever it was that you offered in your books, whatever it is that you offer day in and day out in your life, I want you to come back and realize that everything you offer is plenty. And it is plenty for the same reason that Brene Brown is talking about and that is that we are just human beings here doing our best in society we fear 
that we're going to be seen as inadequate. We're sometimes pitted against others. But the last thing you need to be doing is pit yourself against a sibling. I don't want you to do that. Even if others treat her like her, she's a princess, ask yourself what it would be like if you just treated her with the respect that you want. What would that be like? How would that feel? Because the more you can treat others with respect, the more you're going to notice yourself treating yourself with that same respect. You can't really do to others what you're not already doing to yourself. I've learned this the hard way by judging myself just with no remorse whatsoever that I found myself out there judging others and it's not how I want to be in the world. So Amy, I'm going to invite you to write back and to let me know how this is going. You're up against something big, but it's going to stay big. If you don't take yourself out of that equation of believing you have to prove. I hope this serves you. I hope this serves all of you. The notion of overcoming the pain of performing and proving. Doesn't matter if you're a writer or if you are just living in your life day in and day out. Please join me again next Thursday as I will come back with a new topic. And until then... Namaste, my friends.